Right, I think I'm ready. Are you guys ready? Cool. Let's rock and roll. Hey, 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 it's Friday, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. In this week's episode, I chat to Thomas, who is the owner of Sabi Valley Riding Academy, as well as the host of the annual Sabi GS Challenge. Uh, we chatted about how everything started, um, we chatted about the tours that they organized, what tours that they had planned for this year, what they're planning post-lockdown, as well as we chat about the um, Series 2 Landy that he is currently restoring. Here's this week's episode. Uh, that's that's fine. The light's good there. Cool. You like you look like you're in the dark, but you're not really. If you know what I mean. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Like. But we understand that um, that you got some power problems there. Does the power go often? Uh, does it go out often in um, in Sabi? Actually, time since lockdown, but it seems like it's a single phase type thing. Okay. So I don't know what actually some transformer in town. Yeah. So let's hope they get out there and fix it still tonight. Otherwise, yeah. tomorrow it's also not the end of the world to be a night without power. Eh? Yeah. But I mean, you've. I mean, how long have you been living in uh, in Sabi? We've been in Sabi for two years now, but I've grown up in this area, so okay. we've always lived between Sabi and Hazyview. Um, been there for she's still from two thousand, and then we lived on a farm further down. Yeah. So I've been up and down the valley between Sabi and Hazyview for most of our lives. Okay. But we've made Sabi our, our, our last little, what do you call it, uh, place to settle now for our, you know, for our plans that we're putting out at this stage. Yeah, sure, sure. So I mean, you're pretty used to the sort of like um, what it's like to live out in the, in the in the sticks there, if you want to call it that. I mean, in terms of amenities and you know, we've we've always been on a farm, yeah. so. You know, in the farm, you're a bit more responsible for your own water supply and for all. And that's actually quite cool yeah, because if the pump's broken, it's just yourself that you've got to blame. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Where you're now moving into a town within a municipality, things have slightly changed and you have to rely on others. But I'm not criticizing the guys in Tarby are trying really hard to keep us in water and electricity. And So there's a good crowd yeah, sure. doing that's their good. thing. That's good to hear. Yeah, because I mean, it's quite ironic, uh, you know, us in the in the living in the in the suburbs in Johannesburg, and we're starting to have to worry about creating our own plans, like having water tanks and, you know, generators and that kind of stuff. So it's it's quite ironic that in the in the big city you still have to worry about those kind of things. Then. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. No, I think that's a sign of the time. Hey, that's how the world is going. Yeah, well, you know, you know talk about. Good yeah, carry on. You know, makes us think about where we are and what our bit of responsibility in life is. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it was just, uh, I mean, like under the current circumstances, uh, you know, it was, it's a bit of a pity because my, my grand plan was to do the, the podcast face-to-face. And uh, um, mm. we, we didn't have time the last time I was down there on the Sabi, on the bubble run. Um, but for yes. obvious reasons, you know, everyone is in a party mood and everyone wanted to have a, yes. you know, we had had a, actually yeah. we had had a bit of a hectic day because, you know, we had that incident on the way. But um, but yeah, and then my my plan was to come. You know, it was going to, a good excuse to come down to Sabi again on the bike, and then come and do a yes. podcast face to face. But obviously, the lockdowns, you know, thrown thrown our plans out the window. Yeah, but that event seemed like a lot of fun, and we definitely want to be more part of that. Yeah. Next year. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and then obviously we'd love to have you to come and show you what the academy looks like and 
come and show off a bit the stuff we've done in the last couple of years or the last year basically i mean to set ourselves up yeah, here sure. Sorry, yeah well i mean we can talk about that now but what i wanted to tell you is that um i'm actually very fond of that area like the whole eastern transvaal because when i grew up uh, uh, i grew up in uh, in Wetbank, and uh Okay. Uh, my parents were into car- you know had a caravan, so we were into caravanning and all that kind of thing. We used to come to Merry Pebbles quite often, as well as the Kruger National Park yes. and all that kind of stuff. So that that sort of area is like, you know, it's got a got a bit of a soft spot for it. And I mean, obviously, you know, when the roads are in good condition and all that kind of stuff, I'm talking about the toll roads now, um, it's just awesome uh-huh. to you know to ride around there. And uh, as a adventure motorcyclist, I'd love to come and extend that to. Um, you know, doing some of the dirt stuff there as well. So definitely, I need to make a plan to come to the academy. Yeah, you know, we've got so many available dirt roads that it's actually quite sad that people don't know which roads they can go and ride on and which not. So obviously, when they come and visit me, I'm going to give them these tips and tell them, go and do this, go and do that. Sure. I mean, also, we need to respect the forestry guys and the problems that they have in their day-to-day lives. You know, with them exporting timber and that, if you have an accident on their property, that affects their export rating and all of that. Oh, it does it. So that's why they are so cautious or so, maybe use the word negative here, of having motorcyclists in the forest. But we've got a very great relationship with the guys from Dork Timbers and also from Safco Kamati Land. Okay. And, you know, things are getting better and better because we're showing them that we are a communication tool between the motorcyclists and them. I mean, yes. And they've now started learning to talk to us when they've got issues. And I must say, the guys have been brilliant, the motorcycling guys. In our area especially, they know now, go and ride here, go and ride there. The guys will rather come to me and say, listen, we want to go for a ride, where can we go? Sure. And we don't charge for that service. It's just making the guys enjoy our area and our little town. And that's what it's obviously all about. Yeah, because, I mean, I've, I chatted to some guys in, in Canada. They're up in Montreal. Um, they've actually, actually got a YouTube channel called Awesome Players. I, I started chatting to them oh, geez, back in 2011, around about there. And, um, you know, I followed their, their sort of videos that they um, create of, of their riding around there. And they, they use the ATV um, uh, tracks um, during, obviously, they can only ride yes. during summer. You know, I think they've got to park their bikes for seven yeah. months of the year. But I was chatting to the guy okay. and he was telling me that, um, so the ATV club maintain the, 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 the tracks and all that kind of stuff. And then they've okay. got... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, relationships with the forestry people there that um, mm. like people pay a subscription to belong to the okay. club and then you, you've got yes. a tag or something that you carry you know that you um, yes. put on your bike and all that kind of stuff and so the ATV club maintains the you know they grade the tracks and all that kind of stuff after the yes. snow season yes. and then the, these adventure motorcyclists uh, belong to that ATV club and then you know, those people then have the relationship. And I've always wondered if there was a similar kind of setup here in South Africa. Yeah, yeah I think our signal's gone. Oh, is the signal gone? We, um, yesterday, we left off, we were talking about um, your relationship with the forestry guys in terms of the guys being able to use some of the roads or the trails. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so... How did you how did you establish that relationship? Did you You know what I did when I moved to Sabi, I we obviously sold the farm, so we had a nice big training area there, and then I needed to find a new training area. Okay. And I said to my mates in Sabi, I'm gonna go and talk to York Timbers, and they said to me, Oh, 
good luck. It's not going to happen. Anyway. So I just scheduled a meeting with the big boss, pitched him the whole idea that we can be good for them and they can be good for us and we can be good for the town of Sabi. And York is quite a social, responsible company. So what's good for Sabi is good for them. And I think they like the idea, like I mentioned, that we have like a little contact that they can talk to someone if they feel things aren't going well. Yeah, sure. And then I started their training area and yeah, and we've been doing a training now for a year and a bit on their property and it's going very well. And yeah, so we're building relationships and we're starting to use more and more of their facilities. Yeah, and they're being very good to us. So that's cool. Anyway. Okay, that's great. So the Sabi Valley Riding Academy that you've got, I mean, when did that start? We started 12 years ago. Okay. I went to Germany in 2008, I think it was, to do my um, instructor's course. So we've been doing that for the last 10 years on a part-time basis. Okay. 12, okay, sorry. <laughs> so uh, so part-time basis, and then we, you know, now I've gone full-time into motorcycle training, motorcycle repairs, tires, tours, that type of stuff. Yeah. So it's a le new learning curve for us. Sure. And obviously now with all the changes in the air, it's quite challenging, yeah. but yeah, we just reinvent ourselves and run with yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And the farm that you had, what sort of farming were you doing? It was a farm, but it was mainly indigenous bush. Okay. There were some pecanuts on it. And then we had the windmill wine shop and cottages. Oh, right. So we had a restaurant, we had lunches, okay. we had accommodation. We did that trade for 30 years. Wow. And then we decided two years ago, now it's time to get out of the hospitality game. It's a fun game when you're in it, yes. but it also gets a bit tedious. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, yeah. And, the, and you said you, um, what made you go back in 2008 to go and do your, your instructor's training? Years ago, I bought my first GS. We did a multiple things. We rented out quads. And then I said to Jackie, my wife, let's try renting out some bikes. So we bought two 650 BMWs. We rented them out, but it wasn't a major hit. Yeah. I mean, I think it was too early days. And then I bought myself, I saw the, when the 1150 GS Adventure came out, the one with that massive tank. Mm. I saw it and I was just like smitten. I had to have one. Yeah. And then to come sell those two bikes and buy that for yourself. Yeah. And then I met a guy called Rupert Colwick from, he used to be at Auto Alpina those days. And then also the guys like Denver Biggs. And then I said to him, come on, we've got a lovely farm. Bring some guys for riding. And then I started an event called the Annual Sabi GS Challenge, and that was in 2004 already. Okay. And then a couple of years after that, so that's how I built up relationships with the guys from the dealerships and that. And then I said to BMW, I actually mailed them and said, listen, I want to do a training facility. And they said to me at that stage, they don't need more. They have got a good enough footprint. Yeah, and then a couple of years later, I got contacted by them again and said, are you still keen? And I said, yes, definitely I am. Yeah, and that's how it all came to that I started doing training. We first did an instructor's course in South Africa, and then they gave us the option if we wanted to go to Europe and go and train there. Okay, well, that's well, that's interesting. Yeah? So, um, mm. so when I bought my GS, which is back in 2013, end of 2013, you know, 2014, I'd never ridden adventure bikes before. I'd ridden road yes. on the road before. And uh, mm. I decided that I wanted to do this trip down to Cape Town. And okay. along the way... Um, so I drove back to Cape Town and I wanted to do some dirt on the way, but I, I'd never done dirt before. Um, okay. So I didn't do any training, but I bought um, a book called Dirt Busters, written by Dion Mayer and uh, yeah. who was the other guy that collaborated with him now? Was it Jan de Toy? Um, yeah, Jan was part of yeah. that. Yeah, I read that years ago. Yeah. Yes. So that was my first introduction into adventure motorcycle 
riding. Um, yes. And I can remember I did one of the one of the roads, one of the routes that he he had suggested, which was um, Karlsdorp to Van Veksdorp. Okay, yes, yeah. over the Roybach. Yeah, bus. exactly. I did Roybach. Yeah. Yes. So that was quite an interesting experience because I mean I'd never really done it before and I didn't have like um, so like Nobles or whatever. I just had like the what are the Turrence EXPs or whatever they were. I would yes. imagine they were dual sport tires, yes. but probably the ratio was probably more yes. towards star than anything else. But it was after that I decided I think it's I think it's very important that I go and do some training. <laughs> So I'd you know, we see different types of riders. Yeah. You know, some guys are just naturals. They get on and they do it and they have no issues. And others are more the type that want to do the training. I mean, they want to go step by step and ask the questions and find out why are they doing certain things. Yes. So, yeah, you, you get both types. I mean, and it's it's always fun at the training to identify the types of guys and what are they going to be the challenges for the day. But it was quite fun. Everybody always walks away feeling you know even the guy that thought he's not going to learn anything yeah. they always learn tons anyway. yeah absolutely and i suppose it's it's very much about confidence as well because um, mm. you know what i find is when yeah. i get back onto dirt now after riding tar for a while the first say yeah. 20 minutes i'm a little bit a little bit apprehensive yeah. trying to get my mind yeah. around not using the front brakes as much and you know that kind of thing and yes. remember that you got your abs turned off and and then once you're yeah. in it, like when we did, uh, I did the um, the Swazi trip with uh, Joe and the Bonafide people, yes. and I mm-hmm. uh, hadn't done dirt for a while. And the first couple of k's, I was like, oh, but the second day, geez, I was in the groove. Yes. Although, but anyway, yeah. it's good fun. It's good, and and I think that's yes. the thing is once you once you enjoy it and you're not scared and you've got the confidence, you actually enjoy riding yeah. advent. You know. Yeah, say to the guys, you know, the bike can do it. As long as we are relaxed and give the bike the space to operate. Mm. Terry. If you hang on to the handlebars with a death, death's grip, the bike's not going to do what you want it to do. I mean, it, it's also going to be nervous. I mean, so the more relaxed you are, and go back to the little fundamental rules that we always talk about, look far ahead, you know, have your weight in the right posture in the corners, you know, things are going to be good. I mean, you're going to have fun. Yeah, yeah. So you said that uh, Swabi GS Challenge that you start you started there back in 20, 2004, right? So that's so that's what going. Have you been doing it every year since then? Yeah, this would have been our sixteenth one okay. that we were going to host, and then just before lockdown, we had to pull the plug on oh, that really? one, and it's Shame. it was a stuff up of note, as you can imagine. Yeah. But we are looking for another date, like everybody else is, and we're hoping that we can get it going in September. We'll see how things. Yeah. You know, you can't predict more than a month ahead at the stage of what's going to happen. That's true, yeah, absolutely. And so, um, that's an so what actually happens at the G- uh, at the GS Challenge is it very similar to like a, a qualifying event for the GS Trophy, or what's it like? It is. Uh, last year, our GS Challenge was one of the qualifying events for the GS Trophy, but it's not always. Remember, they only have it every second year. Yes. So for us, I would say the event is all about sharing the joy of riding routes that you would never have access to. And then also secondly, sharing your love and passion for the BMW, because this is the one event that we say you have to own a BMW Absolutely. to come and do. I mean, we all our other trainings, everything's open to multi-brands. Okay. So we, okay, so at the GS Challenge, and then we obviously have that little bit of competitive edge. And there's a lot of those type of riders that, you know, want to compete. They want to walk away with the trophies at the end of the day and the nice prizes. Mm-hmm. So the whole weekend you get scored. A little dawn ride, you get a GPS track log that we check to see that you've achieved it. 
We give little riding challenges, some technical stuff. And then also we hand out a black route. So we do a green route, a red route, and a black route. We do a black route finishes cap. Okay, and we check the guy's GPS track clock to see if he's completed all the routes. And the routes are tough. I mean, you you need two riders at least on a route to get the bikes over some of the obstacles and over some of the tree stumps and stuff like that. I mean, so and you can't believe how people fight for that black route cap. I mean, it's obviously a, it's obviously a coveted possession. Yes. You know? Yeah, and then obviously everybody has a beer afterwards, a lot of discussion, lots of fun. And you know what? The clientele is always funny. When we started the event, it was mainly camping, you know, and we'd have a few hotel rooms. And I said to Jackie, everybody's now 20 years older. I mean, mm-hmm. So we've now had it for the last two years at Misty Mountain on the Long Time Pass, and it's such a lovely venue that. Okay. And lovely rooms, lovely food. So it's it's like a real jewel weekend with your mates mm. and have good food, good Everybody's not drinking beer anymore. They own your red wine now. You know, everybody's gotten older and more sensible. But the guys are still riding as hard as what they ever did. And it's interesting how years ago it used to be mainly green root riders with one or two red or blacks. Now it's 70% black root riders with one or two green. Oh, I mean, the guys are really coming out to that event to come and prove their riding skills. Wow, that's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah I think I'm going to have to, no, when so I come, I'm going to have to start with a green root. Uh, have to build up my confidence. You know, everybody's got to the green route. But you know, we also say to the guy, if you're having a good day on day one, then change over to the red route on day two. I mean, if that's the way you you mean. And then a lot of people say, okay, after day one, green was quite tough for them. Then I give them a short and easier green for the next day if that's how things go. Yeah. But we go to amazing waterfalls and sites on York properties that you'll never get access to. So that is that opportunity to really explore the Sabi and what – the Sabi region has in uh, advanced off-road riding. You know, there's such good stuff. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But you said um, uh, you've only been doing it at Misty Mountains, what, for the last two years. Uh, where were you doing it before that? Yikes. Well, so before we did it at our place, we had a couple of events there. We were down at the river. Yeah, so it was always mainly on our own property, okay. but that we've sold not to get out of that game. Yeah, I mean. yeah. Yeah, so the first one, we had a campsite down at the river. We carted everything down, marquee and we had band playing, and it, it was it was huge fun, as you can imagine. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, was it your place that was affected by that um, bad storm that got washed out? No, no, that was Jan. Was that Jan uh, at Country? Yeah, that was terrible. But he's rebuilt beautifully. Hey, you know, he's done such a lot of effort. Yeah, to make that place look amazing again. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah. So how many how many mm. official um, training venues are there around the mm. country? Okay, so obviously it's the official training partners is myself and Country Tracks, okay. and then there's also a lady called Maura Campbell. Uh, She's no got uh, open. She very much aims at, I wouldn't say novice riders, but getting people into the riding that have never thought about yeah. it. So, I mean, so ladies and guys, and she's got very nice little techniques of doing that. Country Tracks has got a footprint where they have training facilities in each province in the country, and then we are based mainly in Sabi, but then we also train at. Tirpurt, uh, and that is in the Pretoria side. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. <coughs> and so you say your first, what was the first motorcycle that you bought? Was it the 650 or were you riding bikes before that? I started off, I convinced my sister when I was nine years old <laughs> that we need to own a motorbike. <laughs> she was a sucker because she never got to ride it. She was always upset with me. And it was a Honda CT110. Okay. You know what that is? No? You're going to tell me, aren't you? <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a posty bike. Like it's got a step-through frame. 
but it had knobbly tires on. So it's a real farm bike oh, wow. with little carriers on the front and the back. And it even had a low range that you could change over on the gearbox to go to low range. Wow. So go and Google it. They fun. Oh, oh. I see Honda is actually yeah. bringing them out again. You know, they're talking about releasing them again. And I would love to buy one. You know, you always hop <laughs> anchor after your first bike. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and then it actually went into what was my next bike? A my neighbor had a PE one seven five, a Suzuki that he let me ride. I used to work for him on the farm. And then I bought myself an IT two hundred. Did the Enduro scene with that. And then I got into the WRs, the Yamahas. Yeah, and then didn't ride for a long time. But when I was at school and I was 16 years old, I bought myself a Katana 1100. Yo. And that was quite cool. And remember, I lived on the Sabi Hazyview Road. Mm-hmm. So I did the 22 every morning to school and the 22 in the afternoon home. Yeah, that's terrible. That was really cool. <laughs> so you know that road very well yeah. now. I know that right. So Sunday mornings we could have tons of fun on the twenty-two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So and then so I mean so you you experienced was riding uh, dirt and off-road long before you got into into the adventure riding or the BMW adventure riding. I'm losing you, but can you still hear me? I'm losing you, but on the signal there. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. You're saying about dirt and off-road? Yeah, I was just saying, uh, so you had ridden, you had uh, obviously growing up in the area that you did and being on the farm and all that kind of stuff. So you were quite comfortable riding on dirt and doing enduro yes. and all that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and it was like a natural progression to get into sort of adventure riding later. There is a lot of stuff you've got to learn on the adventure bikes because things are quite different yeah. you know, from the plastics or what we call plastics up to the adventure bike. So there are a lot of principles that change. And, you know, we've obviously done a lot of training and been taught by BMW, but there's also a lot of stuff that you figure out for yourself, you know, by a lot of reading and experimenting and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So, like, if, um, if someone was getting into adventure motorcycling now, let's say they've never done it before, mm-hmm. what would you recommend, you know, how would you recommend they start? What bike to buy? And mm-hmm. I still rate the old BMW F650GS. You know, they were 2003, I think, upwards till about 2010. You know, you pick them up now for between 30, no, let's say between 25 and 35,000. Um, you buy an old one, they're bulletproof. You ride it for the first six months. You drop it as often as you want to. And then once you've done that, then you make the decision, which bike am I going to buy? Because yeah. right? a lot of people do that. They buy, or I've seen it also with the husbands, they buy their wives a really lovely brand new 750, and she's terrified to damage the bike. Yeah. And it puts so much pressure on the whole learning process and getting used to riding that you often see those ladies never end up riding their bike. They're too scared to ride it properly. So I would say never go the whole route. Buy an old bike, start riding with that. And then you quickly learn who your riding buddies, you know, if they're all on 1200 GSs or if they're all on KTMs, then follow suit and ride what they're riding, you know, because that's what the buddy ship is about. Yeah, sure. And you know, that's how you get into it. And obviously, a lot of people just train themselves and there's no issue with that. A lot of people cope with that. I mean, but if you can, do at least one or two little courses with someone just to get some nice basics in. I mean, and that opens the world of adventure biking so quickly then I mean, mm. for you instead of having to make all these mistakes. And another rookie mistake we see, people always buy, I wouldn't say cheap stuff, but they don't buy the quality kit, yes. helmet, glove, boots. I mean, and invariably a year later, you replace the stuff in any case, and then you buy the quality. Yeah. I mean, and 
understand why. Everybody's got to justify buying the bike and paying a whole lot of money for expensive yeah, kits. Yeah. But I can put someone a tip, you know, even if it's used, just try and guide quality stuff and try and buy it used then if, it, if, you know, costing is an issue. Yeah. And look, I mean, the quality stuff does last. I mean, I've had mine, I bought my, my GS suit um, secondhand. And I mean, what, so I've probably yes. had it now seven years and it's still going strong, mm. you know, so. Yeah, definitely. you know, I wear mine day in, day out. out. Okay, I've got two suits, yeah. but also they're a couple of years old and they're still strong. Yeah, anyway. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, um, over the years, I mean, have you seen a lot more women starting to ride adventure motorcycles? Yeah. Definitely. And in the past, it was always you would see a girl riding with a bunch of guys or a wife or girlfriend or whatever. Now you actually see girls going out on a Lesotho weekend and girls doing Swaziland trips as a group of girls going. Yeah. And I think that's quite cool. I mean, I think that, you know, not that there were any, you know, that girls have to ride with guys or any preconceived ideas, but I think it's cool to see it happening now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And girls are great. Eh? The girls are really good. You know, we see it at the GS Trophy events, the skills that the girls are showing now. And and they're all on 1200s. There's no <laughs> stuffing around on smaller bikes. Yeah. 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 yeah I can remember I so did a, um, I think after Morag had been to the GS Trophy, I think the uh, yes. uh, one club ride that I did with uh, with the Westrand Club, uh, John Harris mm -hmm. was there and Morag was there mm -hmm. and I was riding with him. Jeez, yeah. I, I couldn't even keep up with them. I mean, like, yeah, within yeah. the first kilometer, like, they've disappeared, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. yeah, and it's cool. And, you know, I don't know if you've met Linda Stain Boddington. She was one of the yeah. trophy girls that went to Malaysia. She's tiny, man. She's one of the smallest people around. Yeah. And we did, um, for our Black Root Recce early in the year, we did a recce ride. And we have a couple of marshals that always help us, and she came and assisted and it was one of those weekends where it just rained for three days nonstop. Mm -hmm. And we manhandled those bikes, and she was there with us the whole time, and it was so cool. I mean, it was like really yeah. nice to see. Yeah, I must admit, it, it, it is very nice uh, to see the women coming through as well, because, I mean, it's nice to... Because, I mean, I've got two daughters, so I'm a little bit biased, and I want them to learn how to ride motorcycles, and I want them to enjoy, you know, yes. doing a nice road trip as well as enjoying um, some dirt as well, because I think that's when you start to see scenery that you normally wouldn't see you know traveling down the main track or whatever yeah and i think also that whole you know i've got lots of mates and the younger kids are on bikes already and i help them train the kids at whole learning the perception of speed and distance judging and control and you know it's such a learning it's such a skill you're learning yeah. you know how to and you always see guys that grow up on bikes make much better car drivers at a later age yeah. i mean they learn how to control uh, panic situations and mm, all that much better. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, like living yeah, living at Johannesburg, you you know, you got to drive defensively and you got to ride even more defensively. Yeah. And I often say that yeah. that I've got to the point now where I can actually read a guy's driving a car. I can read his body language because I can just see when the guy's going to be changing lanes without using his indicator. If you know yeah, I mean. definitely. <laughs> I always say to my students. Sadly, you have to take responsibility for everybody around you. Absolutely. You know, don't rely that anybody is going to make the right decision for you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. No, listen, to, uh, and it's so funny you talk about that. Because, um, mm. you know, you know, I've, I commute to work on my bike So uh, when I'm going to the office or when I was going to the office. So, you know, I ride quite a lot in traffic. But 
I think it was the last day, it was the day of the lockdown here in Johannesburg that I had to go drop mm-hmm. off something for my daughters at, 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 my, at their mom's place. And on the way back, I almost got taken out by three cars in 20 minutes. Sure. And I mean, mm-hmm. that normally doesn't happen mm-hmm. you know, that frequently. Yes. And it's just because, obviously, people with this whole lockdown thing were like a little bit you know, um, put yeah. out by this whole thing. And they're doing U-turns in the middle of the road without even signaling mm. and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. fortunately, because cause you can read the situation that um, you're aware of it, uh, you know, you mm. can avoid those kind of situations. So, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, definitely. Hey. Yeah. yeah, I even saw in Sabi people driving like maniacs that last day. I think too much to do and too little time to get it all yeah. done. <laughs> so what's it like in Sabi at the moment with the lockdown? Is it quiet or people going about their yeah, business or...? No, people are going about their business. Remember, there's a lot of it's forestry, so oh. those guys are all up and running. Um, obviously, the restaurants and the tourism is not here, so that side is quiet. So it feels like a weekday. Yeah. I wouldn't say a normal weekday, but it feels like a quiet weekday. Yeah. 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 But obviously, um, on the weekends, it's not getting busy like it normally would. No. Yeah. No, no, we're not seeing. Interesting enough, this weekend, we saw a lot of guys out riding. People obviously now decided they uh-huh. are going to just go and ride. Yeah. yeah. And I think for them, everybody's had enough of sitting at home and not riding bike. Yeah, absolutely. So (laughs) so we saw a lot of that. Yeah, but, um, you know, we've gone back into the workshop now to start uh, finishing off some bikes we've got there to work on. And I've got one or two accident claim bikes that I'm busy working on. So at least I've got those things coming in, and that's quite nice. Yeah, and then we've got a nice little project. I've got a R1200S that um, bought. And I've always had it in the back of the garage there trying to do some plan with it. Mm-hmm. And now we come up with a nice little campaign where we're going to build it up and then we're going to raffle it towards the end of the year. Oh, right. Okay, that's cool. And what are you going to do yeah, with it? So we'll gonna, do or can't you say what you're going to do with it yet? Is it secret? <laughs> we are going to ask people to tell us what to do. Oh, right. Okay, so come up maybe with three ideas, maybe one battle of the twin look, you know, yeah. a bots type look. Yeah. Okay? Maybe the other one would be absolutely retro or totally original. And then maybe third, a little bit more modern, modern colors, modern paint job. And then we'll see how that. So we'll do some little campaigns on Facebook. And then people will be able to go through to our website and buy a raffle ticket there. Oh. I mean, but we'll launch the whole thing soon enough. Oh, there. that sounds cool. That's that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, and bring some partners on board as well that will assist us with parts and all the stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, no, that's cool. So, I mean, uh, when I was up there for the bubble run, I heard you were saying that you were, um, mm. you know, you were um, doing tires and all that kind of stuff, but you also, you've also got a workshop and working on bikes. Yeah, so we work mainly on the BMWs. You know, in the area, there's a lot of out-of-warranty bikes that the guys just want service and all stuff right. like that. And yeah, so we do quite a bit of that and a lot of tires. I mean, there's always someone looking for a tire. Mm. In this area. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I can't think of anything worse than getting out there, ready to enjoy your weekend, and you know you cut the sidewall mm. of your tire and you can't get a tire. Because yes. the one time that I came to uh, Sabi um, in my road car, um, I hit a pothole on the way to Hrasko. Okay. Um, I popped the side of the the sidewall of the had low profiles yes. on it. But obviously, I couldn't no. get one of those low profiles in 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 Sabi. Yes. <laughs> no, no. Uh, should. Yeah. It's a bit of a pain. So that's always the issue, you know, and especially when the guys come with those really liney cars, you yeah. know, some of those top of the range things, mm-hmm. and tires for that's always a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
So, uh, and yourself, how many bikes have you got? Sure, that's a question, mm. eh? Um, let me count. I think it's about nine or ten. Oh, something like wow, that, what have eh? you got? <laughs> I've got a HP2. Okay. I've got a R80GS. Yeah. Got a my training bike is a 1250 that I've just bought last year. I'm really pleased with that. Yeah. I've got a lovely old uh, Yamaha AG175. It's a 1974 model. Okay. Yeah. Then what else is all in the garage? <laughs> there's a there's a 450, a BMW 450. All right. There's a S1000R. So you see, it's all a BMW theme yeah, running here. Yeah, absolutely. Here. Shows you how strong I, yeah. I've, I've got in my blood. Hey? <laughs> There's a trophy that we used to train people on and rent out and stuff as well. Okay. That was my previous training bike. And then, oh yeah, we've got a 310 that we use for novice training. Uh, BMW. So those well. are like business bikes. Anyway. Yeah. A BMW 310. Okay. And yeah, and Jackie rides a GS Urban. Oh nice. Really cool bike. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's also a 45, uh, R45, 1978 model. Okay, wow. Yeah, so I love the old vintage stuff as well. Yeah. We did the DGR last year with the 45 and the R80. And where did you do the DGR? In we did in Joburg. I did it in Joburg, yeah. So yeah. My, my story with the DGR last year was that uh, I went down to Cape Town to do the DGR there with a friend of mine, and it rained. Okay. And it rained. So I didn't do the GGR last year yes. and the year before okay. that i had a problem with my bm because i've got a r80 and uh yes uh, it's a 78 model or 77 and uh okay. i had a problem with that so i didn't make the dgr the year before so i'm feeling a little, okay. a little bit left out of the dgr yes <laughs> you're gonna have to i'm gonna have to. hopefully we still have it this year yeah looking forward to it if we do yeah exactly i mean geez all these all these trips that i was thinking of doing this year have all gone out the window unfortunately same with us. Yeah. You know, we had a lovely trip planned to take a whole lot of people to Motora Days in Munich and uh, Alps riding and Garda Lake in Italy. So that, and we paid deposits and everything, but we'll just postpone that over to next year. Yeah, yeah and then we've got some other amazing trips. We've got a wild coast trip that we wrecked in December. And we do all the coastal roads along the coast and we stay at all those old, lovely family hotels. Yeah. So that's going to be really an amazing experience. Was that the one? Take a group was that the one that you left for the day after we arrived for the bubble run? Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. it. That, that was amazing. We had such a good time. Yeah, it looked good. You know, and that, yeah, that was really nice. Yeah, and then we also were supposed to run our Ben 10 trip. Mm -hmm. uh, you've heard of the Ben 10, no? obviously. No. The Ben 10 is the 10 most notorious mountain passes in the Eastern Cape. All right. So it's all a village of roads. Okay. And it's Ongeluk's Pass. And there's a website called mountainpasses.co.za, I think yes. as far as I can remember. And then you're going to take a photo of each of their plaques. They put up massive plaques. They're very clever to promote this. Mm. So we take our clients on this and you go and get a photo of, see if you can get a photo of yourself at each one of these plaques. And then you post it and then you get listed on the Wall of Fame on the website. Oh, that's and in lovely places, and yeah. So if you get a chance, go and go and look at the sites and go and look at Ben Ten. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, obviously, the highest pass there is called a pass called Ben McDewey, and it's a, it's a killer. It's a tough little pass. So it's got an ugly attitude about it. Oh really? <laughs> you know, when we did it last year, it was snow and ice and everything on it, and and I got all my guys up, but it, it was a challenge. Oh, was it? Oh, jeez. 
So, um, so what tours? I mean, have you got standard tours that you do every year? Uh, like yeah, we do. Um, like Swaziland always happens towards the end of the year, November. Mm. Swaziland is one of those lovely, meandering, couple-friendly, nice hotels, good food, good conversation at night, that type of a tour. But dirt road, you yeah, know, with some tar road sections. Yeah. And we've done Swaziland for years now, so we know it like the back of our hands. Yeah. So that's really cool. We do that for a weekend. We do uh, Oribaraguanaf tour. I don't know if you've heard of Oribaraguanaf Pass. That's uh, Lechalametsi Game Reserve. So that's the northern side of the country heading towards the Sanin area. And then we do all that Sarala, Volkberg. There's amazing riding there. Mm. So that's, but again, that's an advanced riding weekend. So we have a couple of advanced ones and a couple of easy ones. And then we also do a very nice Tauntaldurs weekend where we actually go from Pretoria all the way on dirt roads, incorporating some really stunning mountain passes and rocky climbs and stuff to the village of Tauntaldurs. Stay there for the weekend and then come back. Oh. But we've got some great stuff planned for this year, but obviously that stuff's all going to have to move over to next year. Yeah. We've got a little village of Klanpella, that's in the west northern Cape. We've also got a tour around that area that we've got lined up. Mm. Yeah, so we Sounds do like really fun. good stuff. Yeah, yeah I'm, getting, uh, I'm getting like FOMO now <laughs> at the moment. Yes, I know. It's, it's, are we lucky with what we do? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that we can yeah. do these tours and take friends with us. Because most of our clients have now become friends. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's what happens with these kind of tours is that people keep on coming back. Uh, if you yes. if you start a new tour, then they come out. You know, they'll come on the on the new tour and very much like Joe and the Bonafide guys. I mean, I, I've actually been very impressed with um, the trips that I've been on with them. The way that they've organised them, the kind of people that are on those trips, it makes it so yeah. enjoyable. It's like such a fun yeah. fun weekend, and that's why I'm so bleak yeah. this year. With what's happened now, is yeah. it? Because I was going to try and make all of their trips, and uh, yes, yeah, not yeah. making one of them at the moment, yeah. unfortunately. Well, let's hope that the bubble run happens in December. There is a small chance it might just. Yeah, happen. yeah, yeah, yeah. I must. Uh, I'm supposed to go down to Cape Town, so I'm going to have to um, okay. shift my calendar around so I can make it. Yeah, yes. I'll just go to Cape yeah, Town later. I think there's going to be a mad calendar scramble towards the end oh, of this year. Can eh? you imagine it? Yeah, can you imagine? Yeah. Um, so tell me about, well, in lockdown, you've been working on your landy there. Yes. Tell us the story about the yeah, landy. So the landy's been in the family for the last oh, 40 years, I would imagine. Okay. And when I was a kid, I obviously abused it and 4 by 4 with it. I entered 4 by 4 competitions. And then 20 years ago, I looked at it and said, shame, this vehicle needs love. I mean, yeah. it's buggered. So I stripped it down and sent parts away. And you know how all these best plans get mm -hmm. waylaid. And the chassis stood in the corner of my workshop for the last 20 years nearly. Oh. And before we moved to Sarvi, I put a bit of effort and time in and I put the motor back in the chassis and redid the brakes and all the seals in the gearbox and the motor I went over and checked it. That's all good, new brake lines. Yeah, and then we moved. And obviously coming to Sarvi, the real work started of building the academy building. And, you know, we built it all ourselves out of shipping containers. And then I bought the paint. And in December, I spent two weeks priming the panels and getting stuff like that ready. And then Jackie said to me, well, lockdown, perfect time. Start climbing into your land. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. And I was lucky. I had to buy some thinners. I had to buy some sandpaper. I had to buy a few things before. But... Throughout the years, I've kept on looking around for stuff that I know I would need. And, and I had a box full of stuff. And I, 
I was like a kid in a candy shop unpacking that box and saying, oh, look at this and look what I found here. And, and things I couldn't find, like I needed a bottom door hinge for the rear door. Mm-hmm. And I got the welder out and the drill and the grinder and I just started building the hinge. I mean, if you can't get it during lockdown, you make it yourself. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. I had to do all the wiring, struggled with some brake lines that I couldn't get, but then I had a friend in town with a hydraulic shop and he helped me slightly illegally, but so what? I mean, and yeah, a couple of other guys. And then when Midas finally opened up, we could get the large little odds and sods like a uh, my coil went, so I could get that yeah. and a few other things. So, yeah, yeah, it's good. That's cool. It's been looking good. I mean, you've been watching this unfold on on Instagram. It's been pretty cool to watch. Eh? Yeah, no, it has. And you know, interesting enough, I sent the suspension away twenty years ago, and you know, all these little jobs become long processes. You know what I mean? So when I reassembled the vehicle, the prop shaft was too short. You know? So then I made the prop shaft longer. What? When I put the body on, <laughs> I realized, no, no, this vehicle's way too hard. So the guys made a mistake. They just put another leaf in. They didn't just reset the suspension. Oh, you know? wow. So it, it was rock hard. So now I had to strip out the leaves to get it softer again, oh, you know, to make it drive properly. <laughs> but now the prop shaft was too long again. Now I had to shorten the prop shaft again. So yeah, no, unbelievable. <laughs> The challenges, but but it was good challenges. It got me out of bed during lockdown, and it, you know, kept you I was busy. even early in the morning, six o'clock. I was working, yeah, yeah. so it was great. Yeah, that's cool because they can't. It can be nothing worse than sitting at home, not having a project to work on, you know, while you can't do anything yes. else, you know. Yeah. So when you test driving it, or you test driving it there in your yard. We are lucky. We live here in Sabi. So obviously, <laughs> initially, when I didn't have the body on yet. I drove around in the yard, but once we had the body on and that, you know, we live on the edge of town yeah. here and, you know, we've got a little route down to the river here. So we often take our dogs in the afternoon and mm. now we put them in the back of the landy and we take them down to the river for a run. So there are some advantages to living in a little yeah, town. Anyway. And the police, yeah, turn a blind eye. Okay. You know, I think we all know each other so well, so they're not really interested. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's cool. So, what's left uh, to fix on the landy? Because I saw you. Did you the, put a, you put the, the the roof on the other day? Yeah, the hard top is now on, yeah. and um, we. The last things I have to do now is, I need to decide am I going to put sliding windows in the back? But I decided I don't want to because those windows invariably start rattling, and mm. anyway. So either I put solid glass in, or I think I'm going to do like a aluminium type flap yeah. that can fold down. And it becomes a little table on the side of the vehicle. I've got these aspirations of doing a long trip to Malawi or something with this vehicle. Okay. So I'm already starting to think in that direction yeah. as to how to make it practical for something like yeah. that. Yeah. And I mean, did you have to redo the engine or? or The engine I rebuilt a couple of years ago, oh, 25 years ago. Yeah. I put new big earrings and rings and stuff in. Okay. So the engine's sweet. Yeah, the engine's lovely. sweet, yeah. Put in a... I put in a new water pump, obviously, now. I put some seals, uh, exhaust gaskets, that type of stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I was lucky I didn't have to rebuild. Yeah, and she's running beautifully. Eh? Oh, that's awesome. Put a Weber carburetor on. That's going well. So, yeah, no, happy yeah. days. Yeah, eh? that's awesome. I'm, like, a little bit jealous. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, um, yeah. I still need to put some new tires on, but that'll wait. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to spend money on tires now. Yeah, eh? yeah absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. Mm. Um. So just going back to the bikes, I want to, uh, there was a question I wanted to ask that I forgot. I mean, in terms of, mm-hmm. um, you know, like the difference between riding a, a, a boxer engine uh, off-road and, you know, riding something like an 800 or 850 or, 
you know, like a twin like that. Is there, do you think there's any advantage to either one of them? You know, you know the boxer motor strength is that torque that it makes right from the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see it when we do our training, you know, when we do momentum hill climb where you've got to generate a little power burst, on the 1200, you can just crank the throttle. Yeah. Anyway, on the 800s, that you have to use the clutch to get that little power burst. Mm. Anyway. So that is the difference. I mean, like, oh, say, you know, the 1200 power slide through a corner, you just crank the throttle and the arse comes out and it's beautiful. Where even my HP and the older bikes, they didn't do that. Okay. I must say, the new BMW, the 850s and the 750s, they've reconfigured that motor. So it's lovely. It's really, really good. It makes the similar type of power. And, you know, a while ago, I rode the Triumph 1200 with a three-cylinder, yeah. and we rode the road. <clears throat> and it's a lovely motor once it starts singing, you know, once it gets a little bit up. Mm. But the bottom end is not there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not making the right power for that. I mean, so I always say that motor is not right for off-road use, unless you're obviously not into that technical type, type riding. Yeah. You know, once you're on the open road and the throttle's open, it's lovely. Mm. I mean. Yeah. So, and then your HP, you said you got an HP too, right? Mm. Yeah, I bought an HP, oh, let me quickly think. It's a, I must have bought it in 2017. No, 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 earlier. 2012, 13, something like yeah. that. And for a long time, it was my only bike. Okay. Yeah. I've had my HP for a long time. Mm. And every now and then, oh, I'm not riding it. You know, they are still nice bikes to ride, but the modern bikes are far better. You can't compare. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're much easier and much more power. And so, yeah, the HP is, a, is an iconic bike. Because mm, it looks nice. I definitely don't want to sell it. And I still enjoy riding yeah. it. I take it out now and then for a ride. Yeah. But it's got a small, it's got a so, small fuel tank as well, has it? it doesn't, so it doesn't have yeah, a. It's 14 liters. Yeah. So, so when you're on an HP, any HP rider can tell you precisely where every petrol station is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you see, he's always plotting it yeah, he's, for the next. Yeah, one. exactly. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And uh, your your new twelve fifty. I mean, uh, I mean, how how did it compare to, say, like the pre the previous uh, liquid cooled, and say maybe the air cooled like the one that I've got. Yeah, the previous liquid cooled was already a lovely bike. Yeah. The 1250, I think the biggest change is the suspension. Okay. You know, they've really put in quality stuff now. And BMW is always a little bit criticized for not competing head on with the other big brands suspension wise. I mean, where now those questions are totally answered. Jimmy, it's got an amazing suspension and the modes work so well. And then next thing, that motor is just so forgiving. The way it doesn't stall, it climbs up rocky climbs. It's, you know, like. On the 22, for instance, it becomes a superbike eater in a second, mm. and the next minute you can do a rocky climb. Yeah. So it's such an all-round, and that variable timing of these has really made a big difference to that bike. Yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of guys say to me, must I buy the 1250? And I say to them, if you can afford it, you definitely must. Yeah. Okay. But it's a lot of money yeah. to step up. Yeah. You know, hide your 1200 till till it's time to change. Yeah. I mean, it's not worth yeah. just changing. Yeah, look, I mean, when the when the first liquid cools came out, I was I was tempted. Mm. Um, but then I went and I test rode uh, test rode it, and I was like, oh, you know, I still like my bike, you know. Um, mm. Yes. Yeah. So I just thought I'd I'd, I'd hang 
hang on a bit, but just now they got quite expensive yeah. now. Now, you know, my bike's paid off. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking, well, yes. you know, it's got a couple of battle scars on it, so I don't really mind dropping yes. it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So. What year model is it? It's a. It's the 2012. It was the last okay. color change before they did the liquid cooled. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you so saw you it. The it's the rally edition, the the white with the red frame. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're lovely, and it's got the double overhead camo. Yeah. In. And to me, that the nicest air yeah. cooled motor. They were iconic. Those yeah, motors. yeah. So it's the same same engine as the as the urban, right? Mm. It's the twelve. Yes, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's funny. I had a, geez, I always tell this story, but I had a bit of a problem with mine. Mine had like a bit of a hesitation. So like, okay. Like if I get to, the way I can explain it is like, you know, you're changing down, you get to the robot and as you get to the robot, let's say the robot turns green and you open the throttle and it pops yeah. and it stalls. And uh, I eventually, um, before I did the, the Swazi trip last year, I found a secondhand mm. power commander. And I put the power okay. commander on it and I went and I sent it to get um, Dynatuned. It's like a new bike. Yes. It's like a new bike now. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's quite interesting. Because yeah. I know for a while they struggled with the whole Euro 4 compliance yes. thing. And a lot of those issues came from. Yeah. You know, they had to set them that they were compliant and that affected that they started burning lean. Yes. And then they had to reduce the power and then they put in another mapping. And so it was a bit of an issue. And Joburg Altitude's don't make it yeah, easier. Absolutely. So I think that's where those struggles yeah. came from. Yeah. yeah cause my and obviously they can't just set the bike and ignore the Euro 4 compliance. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Because um, cause my bike would run very nicely at the coast. Just didn't run very yes. nicely on you know, the Heimfeld. Yeah, and it was so actually. Maybe there's a hint. Move to the coast. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny because all my family lived down in Cape Town. So God knows why I'm still okay. in Joburg. No, I'm in Joburg because my kids are here. So. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So, <laughs> and I mean, geez, I love riding in Cape Town. Oh, my word. Especially the Western yeah, no, Cape, Cape no. Garden Route area. Yeah. Man, I tell you what. Yeah. Yeah. Some beautiful and roads. And those dirt roads are yeah. highways. Hey? They're just like, hey? Yeah, I'd love to. I've been thinking of doing this for a long time now, is where you you ride down to Cape Town, but you take like almost two weeks to get there, kind of thing. And yes. you, know, you find yourself a nice farm stay place as a central place. Mm point and you just go out every day in every other direction that you can find until you've until you've checked out the whole place <laughs> yeah me and jackie did an amazing trip down the west coast where we did something similar you yeah. know we just rode we found a spot stayed for the night and then doing all those little coastal towns down the west coast and getting to know them yeah and absolutely really cool. yeah and that's the thing you know um that trip that i did when i first got my bike um i learned a very very hard lesson there is that don't book your accommodation before you go yes because yeah. all of a sudden you enjoying the scenery you're stopping you're taking photos you see a little side dirt road you take whatever maybe it goes in the direction you want to go or not and then all of a sudden you've got like still you've got 300 k's to do before 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 night and then you yeah, yeah so i, I yeah. made that mistake and you miss you miss the little gems mm. yeah, I mean, so. absolutely yeah just, just book over Easter weekend. That's the only tip I can give. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, ideally, you're going to do this kind of thing when it's not uh, peak peak time. You know, where the weather's good, but it's not like, yeah. you know, the peak uh, peak holiday season. Yeah, because I. Yeah, we've always been lucky that we, because we were in the trade, we always took our holidays 
outside of those peak times. Mm. I mean, and it's always lovely. Those times. Okay, some of the places are closed and some restaurants aren't busy, but that has never bugged yeah, us. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And you like you want to go to those places where it's run by some family that's been there for 20, 30 years kind of thing. And, you know, like you, you feel you're part of the family. So, yes. so what happened to me when I was coming back from Cape Town that, uh, on that trip, I went up the West Coast mm-hmm. and I went up to Springbok <clears throat> and then from Springbok mm-hmm. across uh, to uh, Uppington. And okay. one of my tie-downs came loose and got caught in the okay. diff and damaged the diff seal um, oh, okay. just before I got to um, Pofada. So okay. I, made it, I made it to, uh, to Uppington. Fortunately, there's a BMW mm. dealership there. So I booked yes. it in and I had to stay in Uppington for the weekend. And uh, okay. they took me to, uh, they re- uh, recommended a, um, a BMB there. And I went and I stayed there. Jeez, okay. and the, la- the lady was there. She was like my, you know, she was bringing me, you know, all this home cooked meal. Because I was saying, no, I'll go down to the restaurant yes. to get something to eat. She, no, 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 no. Yes. She'll come and give me, she yeah. came and brought me some, you know, some of their supper that they have made that night. And yes. You know, on the side of the Orange River, it was, it was, I don't, you know, it was like almost like a fortunate uh, incident that uh, that I had to get stuck in Uppington for a couple of days. And then when I was walking around, when I was walking around, while I was waiting for my bike to be fixed, um, when I was walking around, I saw all these old cars parked in, you know, in, in the suburbs. I like walked down the road, mm. and then I see all these old cars parked in the, parked in the, um, in these people's yards there. So I reckon if you okay. if you're looking for an old Chevy pickup or something like that, that's the place to go. That's the place to go. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's keep that in mind. Yeah. yeah, we've also come and stayed over and done trips towards Namibia and stuff. Mm. Yeah, so that's a little town. And also love that Kakamas, Kamus, that whole on the Orange River. They're such amazing places. And Akrabis, obviously. Oh yeah. Yeah, so really. So I was supposed I was supposed to go to Akrabis, but I had to skip that one because I had to get to Uppington. To go. Okay. So now there's a reason to go yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> but there's like, but that's the nice thing is that there's so many places in South Africa to go and uh, visit. I mean, we've got such yeah. beautiful um, countryside and places, roads, and all that kind of stuff, you know. Because uh, like you always think, oh, I need to go maybe a ride in Europe or ride in New Zealand or wherever. But meanwhile, meanwhile, you've got all, you know, all the uh, opportunities here in South Africa to go and. Um, to ride, eh? And I always say, when you do it on a bike, wherever you stop, there's always someone that wants to chat and have a beer with you. So it really opens up. You know, you get to meet the most amazing people. And the reason is because you're on a bike. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, people arrive in a car, no one's going to go and say, do you want to chat? Yeah. Know? When people sit on a bike, they want to say, where did you come from? Where are you going? Mm. Where are you staying tonight? I mean, so that's... Motorcycling just opens those channels. Yeah, and I mean, like you always meet other motor, uh, motorcyclists as well. I mean, mm. you know, on that trip that I did, I, I met uh, some guys uh, traveling on a KTM, and we happened to we passed one another along the road, and then um, I think I was I think it was Clan William that I was pulling into, and um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was stopping to get something to eat, and there they were, they were parked outside the place that I wanted to go and have lunch. Oh, I parked my bike yes. there, walked inside there. Joined them, sat down. We had lunch mm. together. And off they went on their on their trip, and I went off on mine. You know, so yeah, there's yes. definitely this camaraderie as well that goes along with it. Mm. 
Yeah, and, and it's interesting. You go to Europe, and it's the same thing. Hey, people just want to tattoo each other that are on bikes. Yeah. Anyway, so it's it's an international thing. Anyway, it's not just South Africa. Yeah. Anyway. So I mean, I was um, I, I chatted to uh, do you know Kinga the um, yes yeah. Now Kinga stayed with us a few nights here in Sarabi, okay. and then we arranged her some safaris, and we sent her all over. Yeah. So she had a great time when she visited yeah. us. Yeah. In the area. And I mean, she was telling me how, how welcoming people are when, especially, and she said, it's funny, like when you're a female on a motorcycle, on a motorcycle in, in Africa, the people, she said, yes. no one gives you any trouble. She says, not even the men give you any trouble, which I found quite yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's quite interesting. We were in Lesotho on our trip, and then we also bumped into Kinga at a place called Semong Kong. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been there. There's a lovely old hotel there, and they've got an amazing waterfall, one of the tallest waterfalls in Lesotho. Okay. And, yeah, so she was on the trip, and we invited her for dinner, and she entertained our whole group. We had a group of uh, New Zealanders and Australians okay. that night, and she had everybody in awe, you yeah. know, telling all her stories. And, yeah, no, she's, she's really amazing. Yeah, yeah. Nice. yeah. Anyway, Thomas, thanks for your time, man. Been great chatting. It's been great. Nice chatting. Yeah, and I, I can't wait for this lockdown to finish because then I'm definitely yes. coming your direction. Yeah. Yeah. We do a ride and we do a bit. Yeah, absolutely. I actually want to come for more training. I'd like to try and okay. uh, do some more um you know, I'll start I'll start at the bottom again and work my way up to the advanced yeah. stuff. Cause because I don't do enough off road riding. Uh yes. So it's always good to go and relearn some of those things that you've already forgotten. Okay, yeah. Cool. Great. Thanks, Thomas. Anyway, there you have it. That's the end of another episode. I hope you enjoyed that one and hope you'll join us on the next one. Uh, don't forget to rate on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on Spotify, drop me a DM on Instagram or Facebook and don't forget that every Saturday at 10 o'clock, on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, Weekend Crack Live with my mates Oleg and Lester. And that, my friends, is the end. Catch you next time.